Are you seeking to broaden your horizons, to stay relevant and become future fit? Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you simply looking to put a kapow back into your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech fundi with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities, alchemists, newsmakers, and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show will open your mind and help you turn knowledge into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Hey, 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 Future Fit Tribe. Welcome to yet another episode on the Carmen Murray Show. And I am very excited to have a conversation um, with Tabucho Mahu, who I actually met as one of my tutors um, at Henley Business School. And he was um, talking to us about strategy, but he's also renowned for being a serious systems thinker. And um, the reason I'm bringing him in today is since the pandemic occurred, this word systems thinking started becoming like very important. Mm-hmm. Everybody started talking about it. Although um, working with Henley, which was a client, you know, it was part of what they teach. But in the outside world, that was what everybody was referring to because how do you solve complex problems and using critical thinking? And we have all just trotted along for many years and didn't take it very seriously. And now all of a sudden, it is such an important skill. And we're actually seeing quite an interesting, you know, incline in people studying for MBAs and, and so forth because they want to acquire this skill. So, Tabucho, without further ado. Oh, and I have to say, Tabucho used to be um, the former COO for AXA. Um, which is South African's um, airport company. And he is like one of the best tutors. Every tutor or every every student that he ever teaches wants him to come to their company and do talks. So without any further ado, welcome to Bocha. Thank you, Coburn. Nice intro. Thank you very much. Um, made me sound more interesting than I think I am, but Mm-mm. I appreciate it. <laughs> We all hang on your lips like you're absolutely fascinating because you're a storyteller, right? I try and teach that way. So I always say to my students, um, I teach the way I would have liked to have been taught in business school. Uh, Mm. Somebody who kind of understands the theory, but has also applied it and can turn around and say, this theory didn't work in this circumstance for me. You know, it might work for you because people hang on to theories too much. So people start to focus on how to do instead of how to apply and interpret out of that, what that means. And at the level that you are studying and the MBAs, that's what it's about. It's Mm. about how do you take all of these different frameworks and use them to come up with insights to then apply stuff. You know, you don't want to be one of these people that that gets the paper, but not the knowledge. So you say, I've got an MBA, therefore I need a promotion. And I always say to people, I mean, I've had a few employees come to me after finishing their MBAs or whatever and say, I've got my MBA now. I need to earn more. Or at least you need to pay me more. And I'll be like, oh, show me. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> so start about the paper, right? <laughs> you know, you got to, yeah, we gotta, we got to feel that you've upped your level mm. before we can even talk. Um, yeah. yeah, because it's not just about the piece of paper. It's really applying it. And um, I remember during this journey, um, systems thinking is, 
it's a, a, a model that really helps you to, to get more clarity. Let me put it that way. But it's not something easily to apply in your day-to-day life. If you look at companies, they all have siloed departments. And because they have siloed departments, we never see the view from our fellow colleagues and what it's like in the accounts department and what it's like in the marketing department and the technology department. And we always have this blame culture um, that happens. And I find, like, for example, in the systems thinking model, going to CatWo is challenging. Oh. That's for me, is the most challenging part. It almost paralyzes me because I don't know, like, what frustrations they're dealing with. And you know, is it really a frustration or is it just a blame culture? Like you, you, you get stuck in that thing, but you have to take everything into consideration. What's your views on that? Yeah, so there's a couple of challenges with, with that, right? Uh, firstly, a lot of us, number one, growing up, right? You get rewarded for being right when you're growing up as a youngster, right? You get a gold star for getting 100%. You get prizes in high school for being the most right, which is what, you know, valedictorian type prizes are about. And so you get into adulthood Mm. and the real world, which is complex with many, many moving parts. And it's not just one answer. Mm. Okay. But now in a space where things are complex, right, we now want to be right. Mm. Right. And so our obsession is, is victory, is being right. It's not about mastery and getting better. And, and always learning all the time. And so that's the first challenge. In organizations, people try and be right, right? And they're trying to be right on paper, not by trying stuff out and learning from that and, and, and kind of improving all the time. So that's the first challenge. Uh, the second challenge is, like my mom used to say, break it down into smaller bits, right? So <laughs> we even have a, a very common statement uh, or a question that anyone who's listening will have an answer to if I ask it right now. Mm. It's ridiculous. I'll say, how do you eat an elephant? Everybody's going to say what? Piece by piece. Piece by piece, beat by bit, and all of these <laughs> different things. And hoppy by hoppy. <laughs> instead, of, yeah, instead, of just, instead of just asking why you're eating the elephant in the first place. Right? Yes. So instead of getting into organization and say, but what's the purpose of this organization at a high level? Um, are we clear about that? Because if I can be clear about that, mm. I'm a better HR person because I now know I need to apply my skills towards the purpose. Yes, that's specific to HR, but and therefore I need to have empathy for all the moving parts in the system. So all the other departments, I must kind of understand them if I'm going to contribute to the purpose. Mm. But if I come in and I say I'm the best HR person there is, you're not the best outside of the context of your organization. Mm. You've got to get that first. And so that's our challenge. So it's, it's what we call analysis. Where we, want, we immediately want to break things down to small pieces. Mm. The other challenge is we always want to be right, which shouldn't be the so commitment. True. And so we kind of have to flip things over a bit. And so systems thinking is about synthesis, which is the opposite of analysis. Mm. So synthesis says... Get to grips with what the system is meant to deliver, right? At a high level, and then you can start getting into the parts, which is unnatural for a lot of us. And as systems thinkers, we commit to mastery instead of victory, right? So we're always wow. looking to to continuously learn and improve. And so when you design something, you always put in what we call feedback loops mm-hmm. to get feedback all the time. That feedback is meant to help you improve. 
the challenge with that is when you're committed to mastery, part of you then has to accept that you're likely going to fail at some aspects of what's going on. Mm. And it's hard if you're an A-type or always been right and, you know, best in class, that sort of thing. But if you are genuinely committed to mastery and continuous learning and improvement, it means you accept inherently that your solutions can never be perfect. Yeah, and, and you know it's it's such a it's such an interesting thing. So, um, when when studying um, the synthesized model um, for this uh, PG Dip, for example, mm. we learn how to master leadership, and the reflective papers. Now you have to go inside and go and check those biases. You need to go and and go through the ladder of inference and where are you going wrong. And as the journey progressed, one of the things that I, I really battled with was this high expectation of always being right, as you say, being a perfectionist. And I sometimes also feel growing up, but also the work cultures don't always allow us to fail. There's an expectation of perfectionism. Yeah. And as Brene Brown would say, it's like we, we hide behind uh, perfectionism because we don't want to get blamed for something and we, we don't want to take that accountability. And that was a very profound insight for me. But at the same time is, does the culture or does the system allow you to fail? I think if you genuinely are honest with yourself in any corporate as a senior leadership team, you realize that whether you think you should allow people to fail or not, the system is always failing all the time. There's aspects mm. every day that you're failing at. The question is, have you set systems up to learn from that and get better and better and better? That's the challenge. So if anybody in any corporate, I mean, you go to some of the more innovative companies and they'll tell you we fail all the time. We fail all the time. Um, and so... I mean, if, uh, I listened to an interview with Adrian Gore from Discovery the other day, and he was talking about his failed ventures into, into the U.S., you know, Destiny, when they went in there as Discovery, but I think their name was Destiny in the States, and how they paid proper school fees. But he, he loves that experience because it taught him a few things. Mm. Um, and so they've gotten better and better and better and better. And a South African company like that is global, especially with our Vitality product, which is amazing for me. Um, so... The system, there's always failures. Yeah. The question is, are you learning? Yeah. And have you set yourself up to be able to learn? Um, and it's a challenge. What, what makes it a challenge for employees is because you almost get a sense that people are told that they must solve this problem. And so people jump into solution mode and they typically go with gut. Yeah. But in a complex <laughs> system, you in can't. a complex system, you cannot. You've got to fully embrace the complexity, get into it. And then figure out what you think might the, what the problem might be. Yeah. I'd very often go in just with gut. And that's based on experience. Like I've seen this before, right? And that's the biggest mistake you can make in a, in a corporate system that is, that is complex. Is to assume that, ah, I've seen this before. I know what the solution is. It feels good because it's, it's kind of like a survival mechanism, right? Mm. Uh, we don't want to rethink things we've faced before. And so our brain works that way. But you've got to train yourself to say the most important part of anything is to understand where the problem actually is. Because mm. if you say, there's a simple question I, I always ask people to, to be able to answer. Whenever you come up with a solution, ask yourself, if this is the solution, what is the problem? It's a simple question, but 
sometimes when people actually reflect and say, okay, I'm not sure what the problem is. Right. But it's so true. When when we had to do the assignment, right, we were asked, um, or this this action learning program, which we're going on for 12 months with your syndicate, the hardest thing for us was to find the problem statement. It is the hardest thing, and we were challenged on it every single time that we were meeting um, with the lecturers. And... <laughs> It was, it, and, and it's still, it's, it's like I almost get paralyzed when somebody asks me, what is the problem statement? Because I think that's the important thing is, is to identify the problem. But I want to take it a step back mm. um, for, for the audience listening and almost break down systems thinking and apply it to examples. So there's hard systems thinking and then there's soft systems thinking. What is the difference between that? And also what's the difference between strategy? So when it comes to hard and soft systems thinking, these are typically, you know, methodologies from different systems thinkers and, and points of view and perspectives. I, I tend to not to want to differentiate between those things because you are dealing with complexity, which is fluid all the time. So if you can apply the different frameworks in ways that work for you, fantastic. So I'm never particular with hard or soft systems thinking, you know, um, the different theories that, that come out of that. So I'm not too, and I don't think anybody should really, at the start of that journey, be worried about differentiating between those two things. Okay, it's a good thing to know, but in terms of application, you can pretty much use different frameworks to give you different perspectives mm. on, on a number of things. Now, for me, systems thinking, I mean, people talk about it being a, a way of solving complex problems, but for me, it's a perspective. It's how you see the world. If mm. you're a systems thinker, there's certain things when you see a problem, you automatically assume, mm. right? You, first of all, you assume that there's a bit of an underlying structure that's responsible for what we're seeing. So you know that you're being simplistic if you just respond to what you're seeing. There's a whole lot of other issues that are not visible, but form what we call the underlying structure to what we're seeing on the surface, okay? And then the other one is, which you just referred to in terms of your reflective practice, is whatever you're seeing is also a function of who you are. Yeah, right? and your, your mental models. Yeah, so if you're seeing a problem, a lot of it has got to do with who you are and your lived experience. Mm. And people tend to discount that. So I, I studied science, I did engineering, and in science you're told to remove yourself from the problem as a person. Hmm. Right. So the biggest difficulty for me when I was learning system thing is to put myself in the problem and say, what is it in me that makes me see this as a problem? Or what is it in me that makes me see this as a perfect thing? What is it in me that when I see Carmen, I light up, right? And as much as it's about you, it's ultimately how I feel mm. is about me because I'm interpreting your energy in a particular way, which is mm. unique to me. Somebody else might walk into this room and think, I don't like this common person. Something's wrong with her. But I always say, no, it's everything to do with you, right? Yeah. And so those are the two things. And then the third thing is, if you're a systems thinker, is you immediately do not assume that it's the person. Okay? We typically talk about the person as being the main thing, right? And we see that everywhere. Corporate, politics. I mean, this country, for a number of years, if we just got rid of the Zuma guy, this country would fly. 
right? Yeah. Whoa. Then, all the corruption. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then he's been gone a couple of years, right? So we celebrate Cyril coming in. So we keep making the same mistake over and over. Now people are saying, this Cyril guy isn't who we, th- we thought he was. So he's got, he's got to go. And we keep thinking that the person is going to sort, is going to sort us out, which is nonsense, right? Mm. In a system... Because we're complex in ourselves. Yeah. In the system, it cannot be a person. You've got to be looking at the underlying structures and the things that, that make that work. Now, the biggest part of this thing for me, if we stick with, with the South African government story, is the whole thing is about being active citizens, Okay. I don't know how to be an active citizen other than to cast my vote. Mm. I've never bothered to go and investigate mm. right? What, what I can do. I would imagine that I should be able to go to the city of Joburg council meeting and as a citizen sit in there and listen to what they're talking about. Right? Exactly, like you, in the movies. <laughs> I've never interrogated that because the mindset of being an active citizen in a country where the majority have been liberated, mm. there's a sense that the end goal was freedom. Yes. In fact, that was a starting point. But because we're liberated, there's a sense that our liberators will take care of us. And they've gone and they've taken care of themselves. And now to switch mindsets from they'll take care of us to actually they're meant to serve us is a huge, huge difficulty. And so you've got to understand that complexity. And so it's easier to just look at the person. Mm. The leader, change this leader, change that leader, instead of really looking at what makes the entire system work. Yeah. And as long as we're looking at the strong man who's going to take care of us, mm. right? And it's largely a, a problem throughout the, the continent. We still think it's going to be the guy or the woman or whoever that's going to sort us out. A lot of people are liking what's happening in Rwanda. I like what's happening in Rwanda. But a lot of us are linking it to the one leader. Paul Kagame. Mm. Right? And it shouldn't be that. It should be, but what, how does the system work? Sure. And it takes a lot. It, it can be overwhelming when you're studying a system because you think, oh, where do I start? Mm. But that's the beauty of, of systems thinking. It tries to make that, that complexity seem manageable. Yeah. And you go through a process where you understand it better and hopefully you can come up with what we call high leverage solutions mm. that you want to test and see and then learn as you're going and, and keep going. Right? And so that's the thing. The, the, pro- the biggest challenge, which I think everybody has, is when we see something complex, like a country working, you know, or an organization or whatever, we assume that there, um, there must be complicated rules to make it work. Mm. It must be really, really, really complex. Mm. But what we're learning from nature is that you know, when you see something complex, right, there's actually underpinning that is very simple rules that can be followed autonomously hmm. by some organism down at the bottom. Now, if you can shift our mindsets to say, but how do we get to those simple rules for this complex thing? We're 80% of the way there. And l- let me give you an example from nature. So, what year was it? Um, this is between 2006 and 2009-10. Moving airports in Durban, building the new airport at King Shaga, out in Manmoreland, north of the city, from the south of the city. And a big challenge was 
where the runway was going to be and, and its approach. On the approach of that runway, there was a reed bed that was there at Mount Moreland. And over the years, um, what are these birds called? Haridas? No. <laughs> Ostrich, ostriches? <laughs> oh, no, I'm joking. No, um, they were uh, um, barn the swallows. Oh. They were barn swallows. Every time they'd migrate from the Southern Hemisphere to Europe or Asia or vice versa, there'd be a stopover at Mount Moreland, right? And these things were a marvel to watch. What would happen just before sunset or at, at dusk, they would come. They'd swarm all around, all around. And it became quite a, an attraction. People, they actually built terraces there for people to come and watch this wow. thing. They'd come and swarm all around. These one swallows, we watched them for a few minutes. Do, and then almost as if somebody blew a whistle, they would all just drop into the reed bed and be stone cold silence. Until the next day. And so when you look at that, you're like, these seem to move in unison, but it seems so complex. But the guys who have studied that behavior have brought it down to three rules. One, when the bird next to you moves, you move. Right? When you see this, you do this. You do this. Three. And that's it. And it produces such complexity on the surface. And you think, oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, and so with corporates, we tend to think, you know, if you don't have an MBA, you'll never quite get how it works. It's not really about but that kind of thing. It's really around, can you get down to mm. what are the simple rules underpinning this corporate system so that people can make decisions autonomously? If you can get to that holy grail, and systems thinking helps you that. But you've got to embrace the complexity and study it really, really well, mm. and then get down to what the simple rules are for people. Mm. Give them those simple rules, people fly. But yeah. they tend not to, right? So when you make the simple rules, a lot of people think, they're going to know it as well as I do. Can't do that. You know, I must hoard the knowledge and all of that. But very often that's just insecurity speaking. Mm. Right? So if you can translate that to your employees and they kind of know what decisions to make that are critical, they'll fly. I want to almost go go back into the systems thinking models. So there's the real world and how we see things. And then it's um, looking at things for other people's lenses and then going into back into the real world. And where I, like, as I mentioned, the cat woe um, is seeing things through, through different lenses. And something very profound that you've said is um, putting yourself into the problem. Um, and I don't think that's what we do often. It's like very slapstick. I, I'm going to um, digress a bit, but Kanye West, it's as see him as you may. Yeah, um, I love him, by the way. He said something very profound, and it's so true. He says what he would like to see in schools is stop with the history lessons. We are teaching people to always dwell in the past. How about teaching people how to deal with their finances and how to, to think about the future and to think about the now? But what we're constantly doing is putting people back into the past. And it's almost like it's a, it's a habit that we have as human beings to dwell in the past. So as you, as you mentioned about, you know, looking at problems, we identify this problem with another problem that happens. So it's the same pattern, therefore it needs the same solution. So that's why it's very easy for us to follow our gut and go to the big picture thinking. Now, I am a big picture thinker. I am an E, F, 
Oh yes, see, wach no. Um, I I'm a I'm an extrovert. I'm a I'm a feeler. Um, and I cannot remember the other two, but I also am a, oh, intuitive. I'm intuitive. Um, yeah. So mm. that that's what makes me also see the bigger picture. But then I always need to go back to the problem statement, and it's very hard to undo the pattern. And I think it would be very cool if you could take us through the seven-step model, maybe use an example. I don't know if you're allowed to use this example, but the trolley was really awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're talking about airport trolleys, uh, which is an example I use in my strategy class to show people that strategy means nothing if it just ends up being a talk session in the bush, so to speak. Uh, you, it's got to filter down to the factory floor and in my case to airports on the ground. And so I use the trolley department to talk to people because people look at trolleys as trolleys like, you know, oh, please, it's just trolleys. Type <laughs> exactly. thing. And, and if you can understand the complexity around that and the point around using the trolleys is this and the, and the simple rules that people need to follow. For any business, there's two sides to a business. There's the demand side which is clients, and there's a supply side, which is everything you need to do to meet that demand. And hopefully you meet that demand in a way that it costs you less than people are willing to pay for the value that you're providing. That's it. It's, it's as simple as that. But very often people want to make the, the supply side stuff complex. And you know, if you don't know this, you don't know that. But it really is about how do you make that conversation? How do you create the simple rules? For the trolley guys. So if I see so many trolleys in this strategic parking bay, what are, the, what are my choices? If it's peak time, I scream if I see it at this level. If it's not off peak and I see this, I do nothing. So you kind of make that simple. So instead of talking about guys, there's, what's the most unrelatable thing I can talk to when you, people would talk to our staff? Um, Oh, it's daylight saving in Europe. So things have to shift, right? So they, they, you know, they'll adjust their watches one hour ahead or one hour behind or whatever the case is, uh, which means whilst their schedule stays the same, in South African terms, it's an hour later or an hour earlier, pretty much. So now you're telling the trolley guy, you know, the dynamic schedule is shifting because of daylight saving and all of these different things. And I'm like, listen, just what are the simple rules in terms of people making decisions locally where they are autonomously the rules stay the same if I see this and it's peak this is what I do if it's not peak this is what I do or don't do and and so that's how it goes so it's always about how do you go through all of that noise I mean an airport is an incredibly dynamic space Mm. the game of an airport is dynamically allocating resources to a schedule that never remains static. So the plane that was meant, Singapore Airlines meant to land at five o'clock, invariably lands half an hour (laughs) early (laughs) or half an hour later or whatever the case is. And so we have to adjust our plans consistently and all of that. But even as complex as that is, at the heart of it is, are you making the right decisions to manage the balance between demand and supply? Mm. And if you think about it, everybody on the floor is managing the present, okay? in terms of managing that balance. Everybody in management, hopefully, is managing that balance into the future. So what do we need to be investing in? 
What do we need to be scaling back on and all of these different things if we want to maintain that balance? Unfortunately, if you're a big picture thinker and always want to look forward, you can't make those calls without studying the patterns of history. Correct. In terms of trying to maintain that balance because that's, that's all it is. It's about maintaining this kind of balance. And so I could have used a different department, right? But it's the same thing. It's what are the simple rules for you to make decisions around because we're managing this, this balance dynamically all the time. And that's what you focus on. And people get that, they fly. Yeah, and it's almost like um, there's an app called When This, Then That. It's like you just say, when this happened, that needs to be done. And it's such a cool app. Like you, you can get notified when a satellite goes over your house or stupid things like yeah, that. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's the same in, in, in a business environment. When this happens, then you should respond this particular way and sometimes in in situations and complex situations i mean i i i work most um, of my younger life in hospitality and the hospitality industry is also very very complex and especially at the level i was working which is five star so the the everything is 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 you know, works to a system. If there's 10 seconds delay, that impacts how you are able to get a room ready um, for, for the client when they arrive. Um, when the ETA is too early, what do you do with this guest sitting around waiting for an hour to go into their room? Yeah. Um, there's so many things that you always need to think about. And as you say, that having that autonomy to make a decision, knowing that you need to do something here in order to make sure that you take pressure off the rest of the system, because behind the scenes, there's a hundred other people making things happen. And if you disrupt one, it has a ripple effect on the entire hotel. Absolutely. And that's why I find systems thinking, you know, it is doable and it is actually something that we do. I just think that you need to have leaders that also allow you to have that autonomy to make the decision on demand and supply, whether it's something physical or whether it's time, whatever it is, to make something happen from that. Yeah. No, you've got to. And, and it really does start at the top. I always say that the toughest job for a CEO, a department head or a manager is how do you keep people aligned? Mm. Okay, Because once you're clear what the purpose of your system is, your department, your organization, whatever it is, because that's the most important thing, right? Once you're clear on the purpose, you must then design ways of working, which is just a theory, it's not right or wrong, that you feel is going to help you consistently deliver onto the, on, on that purpose, okay? And then you go and get the people to work within that way of working. And the, and the kicker here is that you have to define purpose in terms of benefit of the customer, not in terms of yourself, mm. right? Mm. So you've, that means you've got to get intimate with your customers and understand what the underlying customer need is. Because once you understand the underlying customer need, you are halfway there to developing a purpose for your particular business, right? Everybody knew, sometimes you get some people say purpose of, of business is to make money, okay, or to make profit. And I get where they're coming from with that. But that's like saying, what's the purpose of, of, of life? And you say it's, it's, it's breathing (laughs) (laughs) you know we all need oxygen right to be alive it's like every business for profit not for profit needs money to be sustainable so Mm. put the money aside outside of that now that you're living now that you're getting oxygen 
what is your purpose? And you've got to start by understanding what we call the underlying customer need. Mm. And if you're clear what the underlying customer need, and then you build your purpose around that, and you have to say it in a language mm. of the customer, so to speak. So a, an example I like to use when we talk about this, this kind of way of looking at things is if you look at music, right? Now for me, music, its purpose is to match my mood or lift my mood, mm. okay? I mean, I'm yet to come across of somebody who plays music to depress themselves, right? So you always typically, we play it, you want to listen to it because you want to match your mood or you want to elevate your mood. Yes, exactly. Now, you know, there's a, there's a business opportunity in that. There's a story, recording of music, storing of music, converting it into frequencies that we can hear and all of that. Um, but the fact that I could fulfill that need in the 30s through playing my music on a gramophone, mm. automatic vinyls, uh, cassette tapes, remember those? Walkmans, CD players, Discmans, MP3 players, and now I stream my music on my phone, right? Through all of that time, through all of those changes, what hasn't changed? The underlying Listening to need. music. Yeah. And, yeah, and why I do it. It's the same thing. Whether I'm using streaming or whether I'm using a gramophone, it's still there. Mm. Now, if you can focus, if you can build your purpose around that, then you avoid this obsession with products. Because mm. whoever was committed to, you know, being the best city player manufacturer in the world, where are they today? Right? Yeah. Chances are they are the best of one or two or three, not as many as there were. And so they were so focused on the product that they didn't pay attention to the evolution of technology in terms of better and better fulfilling the underlying customer need. And so we always encourage corporates to be clear mm. what that purpose is. And it must center around a customer need. And your biggest job as the CEO of that company is to make sure that there's consistent alignment mm. to that purpose. And if you're clear on that and people are making simple decisions at their levels, again, it's good, but it's hard to get yeah. alignment. I think that's where Apple, for example, for me, they they really groom you for the for the next the next evolution or the next thing that's going to happen. Uh, Microsoft doing the same thing, like as we're now talking metaverse and going into the NFT world. If I just, uh, <laughs> my husband and I had a conversation the other day, and we we're like. Yeah, we have all of these CD covers. Some of the CDs are missing because you had those, you know, those yeah. <laughs> those covers where you put the CD. Some of them have scratches, but you you have the sentimental um, attachment to it. You don't want to get rid of it, but at the same time, it's like, where the hell am I going to put all those CDs? Your CDs from your entire life and my entire life together yeah. is going to like we're going to need like a bookshelf from the one end of the house to the other end, and it's almost like you don't want to detach yourself. And then you're like, maybe in the future, you know, it's going to be nostalgic to listen to it, but they don't make CD players anymore. It's not yeah. a thing. Um, now you've got USB drives in your car that you can just download the music and, and listen to it. So, And people are listening a lot to po podcasts and audiobooks and all of that. And I think when I think about that, I think it's so important to start for, for businesses to start getting into that mental mind of a consumer. So many times we create avatars hmm. and we go here's this fictional character that is our customer and this is what they want but a lot of those needs and and things are not understood correctly because tomorrow that person is another 
another person with another need. When you become a parent, you have different needs. Your life, your habits, everything changes. And I think that is for me also one of the, the, the core areas is like not evolving with the customer, but the business always wants to evolve with its own, um, its own purposes. I believe honestly that some companies fail because of that. But then there's other companies that are willing to listen. Like Amazon is a great example. Mm. Yo, they listen to their customers. You know, they change their algorithm in the back end of their website every 15 seconds. I didn't know that. That's amazing. That is, is, is showing agility, like understanding that this is actually um, a need, there's something happening here in the back end that I'm going to ensure that we are going to drive more sales and can be more relevant when people search for things. That to me is power. Yeah. And I think that is also something that holds businesses back. You can think about the problem and you can solve the problem, but the, the, it's all about the execution. Yeah. It's this whole alignment thing and execution comes in there. Are guys executing in line with mm. your purpose and, and your customers? And the challenge is once you're successful, you very often forget to remain intimate with your customer mm. and pay attention. Right? I want to encourage every 15 seconds, but that is amazing. That is a, a commitment to learning that is on steroids. Mm. Every 15 seconds, we're, we're, we're trying to learn what we don't know and how we can improve this particular model. If you can get your business into that mindset, it's, it's, it's a fantastic way. I mean, customer journey maps and avatars are, I think, are great, but sometimes they aggregate us too much mm. as human beings. Mm. So I, I, as Deboho, will fit this avatar. And, but my lived experience is so nuanced. And so in this age of digital technology, you really should be getting into a point where we're less aggregated as customers so that you don't map our journeys as if, as, you know, and, and one of my little bugbears are these AI robots that are meant to answer your questions, right, before you actually talk to a person. And invariably, they cannot answer what you're asking because people mm -hmm. are trying to use that technology. I don't understand AI, but they're trying to use it in a way of automating frequently asked questions. You know, you used to have that in workshops. Oh, yeah. Frequently asked questions, and that's the answer. And again, the, the, the challenges are so nuanced. And so there's such complexity. And for, mm. for us to think that there are going to be standard answers to most things that come through mm. our call centers is, 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 is crazy. Hopefully the artificial intelligence will catch up yeah. and start to respond in, in more nuanced ways. But it does take some time. And you know, 70% of the frequently asked questions sits in your organization. It doesn't sit on online necessarily. Yeah. It's the questions that people ask when you give them an answer. But what about this? Now that you've said this, because in your mind, the neural network is connecting and people ask different questions, but nobody's recording those questions. Yeah. You know, I, you know, AI can be complicated, especially um, unsupervised learning. It, it can really get com um, complex. And I think that we're still a bit away from that. But if you look at there's tools, for example, like Grammarly, I'm dyslexic. So Grammarly is my best friend mm. um, when I need to, to write things because it corrects my grammar because my grammar is the big, the big elephant in the room. It helped me with my academic papers. I'm just saying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to use what you got to use. Um, but at the same time, I also think that um, the, some of, of the tools are great out there that really do solve problems. But then there's other ones that are just, um, you know, uh, it's not one-to-one. -one. It's not really yeah. bespoke. 
and this whole world is actually to find what does uh, a persona have in common? What is it? Um, what makes it different? And then find that sweet spot in between that connects both of those personas. It's it's understanding the behavior. I think we're still st- uh, stuck into demographics, firmographics, and yeah. and that not the ethnography side of things and and how people's behavior is shifting. You know, businesses have the power to change the culture that we live in. Mm. So because they have that power, do they truly understand the behavior that's changing because of the culture they're creating? Yeah. And the new problems that they need to solve, that they that 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 it starts showing up. So I'm going to give you an example. We've got three dogs. Love my dogs. Hmm. Absolutely. It's a bulldog, a pug, and a Pekingese. Three flat faces. Different yeah. breeds. Now, Becchio, um, who's named after Leeds United uh, player um, in those days, he um, is 13 years old. So he's no longer suitable to be the leader of the pack. Now, we've got Bamba, who was also named after Leeds United player. Um, and she is now trying to fight for her place and get promoted in in the pack and now Bielsa is like one and a half years old also named after the coach of uh, Leeds United do you get my drift anyway so we're very very (laughs) sentimental so they're brats we've we've trained brats but anyway the point I'm trying to get across is the we went to the vet the other day and she said to us I want to show you this journal and she went to go and fetch a journal the ladder of aggression and the ladder of aggression for animals. And I was absolutely fascinated. The, the, the triggers that we have seen but did not know what they meant. Mm. And it's whispers. She explained it like all of these signs that, you, that, that happens here is basically whispers of the dog trying to dominate the pack. When you start seeing these kind of um, behavioral patterns over here, this is shouting. Now, now animals don't have a voice, but human beings also don't say what they think. Mm, mm. And there's a there's a mental model just to go back to, you know, from a systems thinking and putting yourself into the problem. But what is interesting to me is in the corporate world, there's also a lot of aggression of how we want to corporate climb our way up. We want to study an MBA, hoping we're going to yeah. get that promotion. Yeah. But once dogs, for example, had a fight and they tasted blood, they won't stop fighting. Oh, really? Yeah. And it sometimes means you have to either um, take a dog or a, a cat or whatever, take it to a new home to get adopted, mm. or you have to um, euthanize the, the, the animal if it oh, gets no. very aggressive. Yeah. Now we're sitting in that conundrum and it's almost with corporate climbing the ladder. Mm. What are those moments of aggression in mastering leadership? As you climb through this, this ladder, can other leaders spot those, those things? And the same with our consumers. Um, you know, are there um, a, a ladder of aggression with our consumers based on how we are performing and doing things and serving their needs. I mean, how many years have we known that call centers annoy people and the fact that people are still so aggressive with call centers when we are constantly in Zoom meetings or working hybridly, yeah. it doesn't make sense. It's a, Look, it's a challenge. And, and I think it stems from, again, this, the past yeah. present and, and the future. So it's hard to shift yourself based on, on what you know. So I, I was born into 
world of telephones. So telephones existed. And so I could speak in a house voice to my uncle who was in the United States and probably be, what, a two-second delay? But I wouldn't even know there was a two-second delay. Right? Mm. I, I was alive when the fax came to South Africa, fax machine. That was powerful. And, and, and <laughs> I remember watching an ad where somebody over the phone is describing what they have in front of them in a drawing. And the guy on the other side is putting together little pieces to replicate what he's hearing in terms of what he was seeing on the drawing, right? And bef- just as it's about to finish, this thing just <laughs> breaks down, this model that he was creating. And it's like, ah, we have to start again, oh right? Goodness. And then the tagline, so they show this paper going into this machine and comes out on the other side just, you know, as the drawing. And he said he could have just faxed it instead of going through all that trouble. I remember looking at that ad and thinking, what? what? I in the devil is this, you know? <laughs> but if you think about it, I'd never questioned the telephone in the same way. It was yeah. the same thing. Was, this is just a picture. The, the phone is voice, even more live than just a picture. But because my frame of reference was I was born into the telephone, I never questioned it, right? Mm. And so it becomes, so you, you get to, I mean, even my twin girls, I've got twin daughters that are turning 10 this year, right? They're born in 2012. And... They were born into the iPad. And so even before they could crawl, they could, you know, play on the screen and, and do what they want and all of these different things. And I remember when they, when they started crawling, one of them crawled over to me. I was working on my laptop, right? She comes over <laughs> and she touches my laptop screen, right? And I saw this look of confusion on her face. And I'm thinking she, you know, in terms of what's going through her mind, she's probably thinking, what a waste of a screen, <laughs> Right? Because that's the perspective you're born into. It's like, you know, why would you have a TV that's not interactive? Why would you have a, a computer whose screen is not interactive? All of these things. And I defended it. Oh, this is a laptop, you know? So my frame of reference is that history. And it's acceptable to have screens that are not interactive because that's, a, that's what a laptop is. Mm. But why isn't the screen interactive? I don't ask myself that question because my frame of reference is that it just is. It's like a watch. A lot of people who love watches, expensive watches, and you think this thing only tells time. Exactly. And date, two things. And it's, it, it, nothing, it does nothing else, but I'm paying 100,000 rand for it. <laughs> so again, for somebody who's born now, they're like, come again? What? Does it tell my heartbeat? Does it, you know, your heart rate, all of these things, and my activity, does it track these things? And why would I then want it if it doesn't do all of that? But I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's legacy issues. It's a, I, I defend it because I was born into that and I never mm. questioned it. And so the younger generation coming in, you've got to have ways of those feedback loops, what's coming, your customers' feedback loops. But the challenge with feedback loops, as I said earlier on, is that we're so focused in terms of our corporate journeys, in terms of victory. Mm. If I'm promoted, therefore I won over you guys. So yeah, there, right. Instead of realizing that I'm being promoted into a level of incompetence, because mm. I've never, I've got to figure out what the purpose of this level is, and what that means in terms of what I do. But very often, we focus on victory and not mastery. So instead of saying I'm now at a different level, I know hardly anything at this level. So how am I going to set up my system so that I learn quickly? Instead, I'm proudly walking around and saying, hmm. I'm the top dog here now, right? Exactly. And, and, and that's the challenge. And again, it's just this mentality around how you approach life. 
Mm. Is it to get better and better? Or is it to show that you're better than some? Mm. Right? Because the, the reference point for me is always got to be the self. Are you better today than you were yesterday? Great. If you're not, what can you do to help that along? Mm. But very often is, am I being rewarded better than that guy? Am I being seen by, you know, the exco, the board, as the next leader and all of these things? So we kind of focus on, on the victory side of things a lot. Mm. And that complicates things. Um, and also suppressing. I think that you suppress, and, and it, it ties back to what we said in the beginning, you know, that idea of wanting to fail, knowing that we need to go into this complex problem um, with critical thinking that we're not going to have all the answers, but we are going to try and learn from it um, in the feedback loop. And this is exactly the same process. It's like you can't expect, okay, right, um, I've got an MBA. And just because I've studied and, you know, uh, like parrot learning, some people do parrot learning and then put the books away, never look at it again, never practice it. It's not really part of where they want to go for their career. It's just having about the title behind their names. Yep. And there's this joke that always go uh, go around. It's like, what does a p- person um, tell you the moment they've they've got an MBA? I've got an MBA, yeah. and 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 that that's the the problem right there. As you say, it's like um, it's a victory moment, not a mastery moment. It's a top dog moment, and once you've tasted that blood, yeah. oh boy, are you doing like it a for dog with a bone? Dog with a bone. Are you doing the right things to serve the end user or the end consumer in the end of the day? And that's why it's so important to go into um, you know practicing what you learn but also to become a systems thinker i think if it wasn't for me to i mean i've always been more of um, a strategist and i love solving complex problems in in that way i research a lot of studies but also recognizing that those case studies don't necessarily solve this particular problem in front of me because it's done in a different country with different resources different technology however with that being said, is it gives me a perspective of how things look through the world's lens on this particular problem and gives me solutions or ideas. And what I've learned today, which was really for me a profound moment, is this idea of always using our guts and intuitions, identifying patterns, solving the problem before we actually know what the problem is. And that's why it was so hard to understand what that problem statement was, because we already got to the answer before we got to the problem. And this is why systems thinking is such a powerful tool. It keeps you honest. Very, very true. Uh, I mean, you talk about strategy and, you know, in terms of when we consult to organizations, we actually use systems thinking in developing strategies, right? And that's just me and my partner thinking we could fuse these frameworks together. In fact, you'd come up with something much better, we think. Uh, and so we've done that. And each time we've had a session with a company, people will say, what in the world? <laughs> I've been through strategies before, but this, this is so much better, you know, but it still makes sense as strategies. So you can combine the, I mean, the, the, the different tools around this thing. And for me, it's just, so so important diagnosing what the problem is mm. it's such a you know when they talk about the flywheel effect mm. where you know it's 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 shoulder to the wheel up front a lot of effort but once you get beyond a certain point the flywheel just 
goes over under its own momentum type of thing. Now, it's the same thing with diagnosis. If you take your time and really study what the actual problem is, whatever solution you come up with is likely going to be much better than one that was the gut one mm. that you had. But you need to put a lot of effort in terms of embracing that complexity and kind of understanding. And even if your, your solution is perfect, when you do try it out in the first instance, right, here's the challenge. You still need feedback loops because even if your solution doesn't change, to your point of customers shifting or the environment shifting and all of these different things, if you miss that, you miss an opportunity to improve your solution. Because mm. even if today it's perfect, it's wonderful, five years down the line, two years down the line, something's shifted in the environment and your solution is not so perfect anymore. And, and that's a huge challenge for people is we get married to our solution because they seem so elegant. Yes. We want them to be right instead of being the best one at the moment that we know of. The best one could be, as you're saying, Amazon every so often with the algorithms in the background and all of these different. That commitment is hard for people because if I get a big bonus for this solution, it's like nobody touched my solution. It's the best yeah. thing since, you know, sliced bread. But the environment shifts. And so you've got to adapt. You've got to keep going with that. And that is really, really difficult to take as human beings, knowing that we're largely trained to crave being right. Mm. We're rewarded for being right instead of being rewarded for effort. Right? Kind of want the outcome. So my kids, as an example, daddy, just after exams now, got 89% for maths. I'm like, ah, why do you think that is? Because we studied, right? So there's a connection between what you do up front with the results. And so trying to, and then I praise the effort of the results. If it was 69%, it would be the same thing. Did you do your best on the effort side? If you did, fantastic. Wow. It, which is hard because the school still praises. Oh, she was second top in class for maths. I, my heart is doing tumble turns. <laughs> but deep down I'm saying, but this is not what you encourage. This is not what you want to encourage. Yeah. Because you're, you're pushing the victory mentality instead of saying, could you do better given the potential that you're seeing as a teacher, even if it is 90%. Do you think she's applying herself to her potential? Mm. If not, how do we help her apply herself to her potential? Wow. Which is, which is a huge challenge. And it's hard to inculcate into kids, especially if, the, if, if I'm the best in the class. Daddy, what, what, what are you on about? I, I did better than anybody, everybody else. And I'm like, but this is a personal journey throughout your life. You've just got to be honest with yourself in terms of, did you do your best in terms of what you're doing? It's so true. Um, Sarah Blakely, Spanx. Yeah, Spanx, love her. Oh, I'm obsessed with her. But her father, because she listened to all these motivational videos and so forth and we're digressing a bit, but, but it speaks back to the systems thinking about the failure um, element of it and not always being 100% right. Her dad, every day when they sat down for dinner, his question to them was, what did you fail at today? Yeah, That's all he cared about. Yeah. What did you fail? Because he knew that that was the best place of learning and, and what you're doing if your kids is amazing as well because you know 
celebrate the victories but also f- the failures um you know and and as long as you give your best and and apply as much as you can as long as you're understanding what you're doing you know you can always improve but yeah. it's it, it's a it's a journey it's it's not a destination yeah absolutely and i mean the there's great studies around this by a professor from Stanford called Carol Dweck. Um, she talks about the growth mindset. Having a growth mindset versus what she calls a fixed mindset. Or another word for fixed mindset is a genius mindset. Right? Where we think, if I'm good at this naturally, then that's it. That's what I'll do. Right? Which means I think if I'm not good at something, I can't improve. Mm. Versus a growth mindset that says, I can't do it yet. Yes. Right? Yes. And then, you know, a growth mindset is very, very different. And she discovered this by accident as she was doing certain experiments on kids where, you know, she was getting kids to do puzzles with varying degrees of difficulty in ascending order. Right? So easy one, then move on to the next one. And she would something along the lines of two out of ten kids at the really tough, once it just finished the tough one, she'd give them a, a choice. Do you want to do the next hard, the next level? Or, or would you rather work on this one again, right? It says eight out of ten typically would want to stay at this level to try that again. Hmm. And two out of ten would be like, why would I want to do that again? I want, to try, I want to try the next one and see if I can do it, <laughs> which is the growth mindset, which means they're willing to put themselves out there, knowing that they might not get it right, but the effort is what they're, they're enjoying, that, that challenge, versus other people who think, if I found this difficult, what are the chances I'm going to get this next one right? So sure. I'd rather stay here and be seen as competent or genius, because if I go to the next level, wow. I'm going to be seen as stupid or incompetent which is a huge challenge. Um, See, that's profound. I need to go read up on that. I'm (laughs) definitely going to get all that information in the papers. And then when we start going into those papers, oh boy. And it's it's actually funny now now I'm going to close off. um, But I mean, I'm having such a fun conversation. I feel like I'm in class again. But um, it's it's just so profound how that habit goes into you where all of a sudden you don't just take things for what people say they are because we're complex. People are complex and it's always looking at what somebody says but who disagrees with what that person is saying yeah. um, has really stuck with me for, for, for a long time. And um, I'm not an argumentative person, but I've realized through this journey, you don't have to argue. You just, you can listen. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything, but you can observe in a room different perspectives, what people are saying. And if you can do it in your personal life, you can definitely do it in systems thinking. Absolutely. And that's, that, that was the beautiful gift about all of this for me. I want to close off with a with a story when you're talking about the the AI. I came across so now I'm I, I'm a little bit hooked on TikTok. Oh, really? <laughs> Not my place to play, <laughs> but um, I need to just I want to understand how people behave and so forth. And I came across this cute video. So my dad um, would have turned eighty uh, a week ago, and it was it was like literally the day after, and I was scrolling and it was the heading said um, the 80 year old man engaging with Alexa for the first time so he's a veteran and used to be in the Navy 
And the new Alexa, you can whisper to her now. So I, I need one of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's like beautiful. It's like this big thing. And the daughter says to the eight-year-old um, grandfather and says, whisper to Alexa anything that you want to ask. And he's like, why must I whisper to her? Just whisper to her. Whisper. Ask the question. And it's like, all of a sudden he's like, ooh, it's like spy stuff. Yeah. And he goes, Alexa, tell me how many, how many fleets on the United States are currently active? How many? She responds, 490. And he goes, wow. And he was so excited about this moment. He says, did you hear? And he says to to his daughter, did you just hear? She said, 490 fleet are currently active or reserved. Wow. And he was so proud because he's a, a veteran. Yeah. And then he just turns around and says, what else can this thing do? <laughs> <laughs> and for me, that was just a beautiful way. To and Alexa s- whispered back? <laughs> yeah, she, went, oh, she whispered wow. back. And, and for me, I just saw that as such a cool problem to st- solve as um, keeping old people you're keeping yeah. them in company Informed. when they're alone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, anyway, Fantastic. it was so lovely having having you here and and having a masterclass with the the legendary Antwoche. <laughs> I mean, seriously, seriously, you are like so powerful and I love listening to you. And I, I, I wish I could be so smart as you. But one day I will not be in the genius mindset. I will be in the growth mindset. I will practice my systems thinking even more. Fantastic. <laughs> All you can do is to commit to improvement. That's it. Exactly. You do that without bruising your ego. You're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, humble, humble to Boho. How can people get hold of you? Dropped off social media a while back um, for different reasons, but I am on LinkedIn. Uh, so my first name and last name, Tebukho uh, I'm on LinkedIn or company website uh, is orenda, O-R-E-N-D-A dot C-O dot Z-A. Um, so that's, that's how people can get hold of me. Tell them what it means. Orenda. Um, that is a, actually a Native American word, orenda. Um, and we chanced upon it really because... When we started this strategy and organizational effectiveness um, consultancy, I come from corporate and I had been anti-consultant. And when I say anti-consultant is anti-predetermined solutions before Mm. engaging with my context fully. And so part of the model sometimes with consulting firms is we've worked with this global company and that global company. So chances are we know something you don't. So we sell ourselves as experts. And I kind of didn't want to go into consulting with that mindset. And so our mindset is you're the expert in the room, right? And we just come in, use our models, and hopefully through that counterintuitive modeling, you get insights that you otherwise wouldn't have. And so the word orenda, what it stands for is it's a spirit in the Native American language hmm. that is within everybody that allows them to change their fate. Okay, so we kind of bring out your render as a corporate or a company or whatever it is because you're trying to change your face because you're seeing headwinds or whatever the case is, but there's a sense of predetermination to where you're going to end up, but we say, no, it's, it doesn't have to be the case. If we work with you, we 
kind of light up your render and then you start to steer your ship towards a different fate um, in terms of what you do. So that that's what the word means. Love, 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 love. Cool. Anyway, thank you so much, Dabucha. Thank you. Really appreciate the time to talk and the opportunity to just have a chat. Fantastic. Anyway, bye-bye now. Cheers. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Uya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C, and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits, and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences, mobile, data management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.